Hello, and welcome to Homeless Road Methodist Church Audio Worship. The audio you are about to hear was broadcast on Sunday the 13th of June. We are joining with our sister church at Hedden, so thanks to them and thanks to John for leading us in worship. Our call to worship is composed of words from Psalm 145 and Hebrews 4. The Lord is near to all who call upon him in truth. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Well, good morning. It's great that we can share in this time of worship together over the internet. So come, now is the time to worship. Let's sing it. Just as you are to work 
first Bible reading is from the first book of Samuel. Earlier in the book, we read how from childhood Samuel had heard God giving him messages for others. At the time, Israel was being oppressed by the Philistines, so the people asked to have a king like other nations had to lead them in battle. God directed Samuel to a man called Saul, who was a head taller than anyone else, and told him to make him their king. After God's spirit came on Saul, his army had success against the Philistines. But then he disobeyed orders God had given him by Samuel. So Samuel told him that the Lord had rejected him as king and would appoint someone else to succeed him. We pick up the story now at the end of chapter 15. The Old Testament reading is taken from the first book of Samuel, beginning at chapter 15, verse 34, to the end of chapter 16. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. Thus Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as the king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to see Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. <laughs> Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elijah and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse they then made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. A brief prayer. Lord, open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. One verse in that passage has great personal significance for me. I met my wife, Laura, through a free Christian introduction website in late 2008. She seemed like a nice, fun person and a sincere Christian. We were both looking for a potential spouse, but I wasn't sure she could be the right one for me, partly because she was on the other side of the Atlantic, but also because all I knew of her appearance was her profile picture, which wasn't really attractive to me. After I'd been praying about it, in two different ways, my attention was drawn to the verse in our passage that says, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That told me that I should be looking at Laura's heart. Our relationship quickly then moved to being in love. I arranged to go to meet her in America and I came back married. Though we needed to make quick decisions, rushing into marriage isn't generally advisable. But after over 12 years, we're still together and in love. I believe that verse and the whole passage teach an important principle echoed in many other places in the Bible. Outward appearances don't tell the whole story about a person or situation, and often not even its most important part. The sayings, appearances are deceptive, and there's more to this than meets the eye, are often true. Even when somebody hasn't deliberately tried to mask something they don't want us to know, superficial impressions can be misleading and mistaken. That was the case in our reading. 
You might have thought Samuel would have learned his lesson. Saul's impressive appearance hadn't made him a trustworthy leader of God's people and actually wouldn't seem so impressive when later he was faced with Goliath who dwarfed even him. But still, Samuel was convinced Jesse's eldest son, Eliab, was the man, until God told him, Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. In fact, the one God had chosen hadn't even been considered worthy of being there. As the youngest son, he'd been charged with keeping an eye on the sheep and had to be specially sent for. It turned out that he was a good-looking lad too, but God hadn't chosen him for his looks. As Samuel had told Saul when he told him his son wouldn't succeed him as king, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. For as God said to Samuel at the sacrifice, the Lord looks at the heart. In Hebrew thought, the heart was the seat of the will. The long sequel to this story and the Psalms David wrote show that for most of his life, his will was to follow God's lead and serve him. That's the attitude God looks for, not only in kings and prophets, but in all his people. I read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 26. Then Jesus said, The kingdom of God is like someone who plants seed in the ground. Night and day, whether the person is asleep or awake, the seed still grows. But the person does not know how it grows. By itself, the earth produces grain. First, the plant grows, then the ear, and then all the grain in the ear. When the grain is ready, the farmer cuts it, because the harvest time has come. Then Jesus said, How can I show you what the kingdom of God is like? What story can I use to explain it? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest seed you plant in the ground. But when planted, this seed grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. It produces large branches and the wild birds can make nests in its shade. Jesus used many stories like these to teach the crowd God's message as much as they could understand. He always used stories to teach them. But when he and his followers were alone, Jesus explained everything to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may not see a connection between those parables and our first reading. When I was looking at the suggested readings for today, Neither did I. But later it struck me that they're both about hidden potential, the capacity someone or something has, given the right encouragement, support and equipment, 
to achieve something which at first sight doesn't seem very likely. The saying that great oaks from little acorns grow is true. But if you didn't know what an acorn was and saw one, would you guess how big a tree could grow from it? Seeds are mostly quite tiny, dull and insignificant. And unless you're an expert, many kinds are hard to tell apart. You might even mistake some for tiny pebbles or bits of grit. Until you put them in the ground, that is. That appears to be the end of them. But if it's the right kind of ground, and they get enough rain and sunshine at the right times, eventually wonderful things happen. At first, there's nothing to see. And if you kept digging them up, that would probably ensure nothing did happen. But if you're patient and leave nature to get on with it, the hidden potential in the seed produces first a shoot, then a stem with buds, then leaves, flowers, and finally more seeds. Even a tiny mustard seed can produce a substantial bush. bush. Jesus says God's kingdom is like that. We can't see what's going on in people's hearts that's preparing them to respond to the good news about Jesus. At first they may appear unresponsive, and some may remain like that. But God knows who are the ones who are taking the message to heart and will sooner or later act on it by putting their trust in him and following him. When David was a young man taking care of sheep, his prospects didn't seem very brilliant. As Jesse's youngest, he'd eventually inherit a few sheep of his own and with hard work have enough to live on. Shepherding wasn't a very prestigious occupation. It was tough work with unsocial hours, spent at close quarters with smelly, silly sheep, especially when they were lambing, and demanded constant vigilance in case thieves or hungry wild animals showed up, or a sheep went astray in search of a tasty patch, patch of grass. But David had hidden potential which God could see, though it was hidden from everyone else. It lay partly in his relationship with God and partly in his work as a shepherd. In Psalm 40, he wrote, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. And its first line is, I waited patiently for the Lord. The contrast with Saul is marked. David was in no hurry to displace Saul whose own status as God's anointed king he respected. He was content to wait for God to open the way. When, some time later, he heard Goliath mocking the Israelite army, no one would have found fault with him, leaving the fighting to the trained warriors, even though none of them, even Saul, were ready to take on Goliath. But we know the story. David couldn't bear to hear Goliath defying the Israelites. He asked, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine 
that he should defy the armies of the living God. And when he went out to respond to his challenge, it wasn't with conventional weapons. Instead, just as when he'd kept watch over the sheep, he took his shepherd's sling and some pebbles. For as he'd told Saul, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, who rescued me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So he demonstrated the depth of his trust in God and his devotion to the honour of God's name. Two qualities which, as God knew when no one else did, would make him a great king of Israel. Perhaps David wasn't an extraordinary person. He was an ordinary lad, doing an ordinary job. But he had an extraordinary faith, or rather, he had faith in an extraordinary God, the same God you and I believe in if we're Christians. This God seems to love using people you'd never expect to carry out his plans. He sees their hidden potential and helps them fulfil it. Of course, they have to be willing and they have to trust him. The nation of Israel seemed to fail more often than not. Saul, after a brilliant start, failed. But David was far from the only one to keep pressing on with God, even after the occasional failure. And in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the ultimate in triumph emerging seemingly impossibly from apparent defeat. So, Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. If you trust in Christ, the possibilities are endless. Paul says God told him, my power is made perfect in weakness. The world may not think much of you. Even your fellow Christians may not think much of you. But God knows what you could achieve with his help if you surrender yourself to him. He sees the hidden potential that you don't even know you have because you're his beloved child, born again of his spirit through your faith in Jesus Christ. We pray now for the church and for the world. When I say, Lord, in your mercy, please respond, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that all who feel unloved, unwanted and despised may discover that you love them and have a place and a purpose for them and that they are precious to you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.
We pray that all who feel they have nothing to contribute may discover the talents you have given to them and be open to hear your call to serve and to receive the gifts you are waiting to give your church through them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for ourselves and all people that you would help us to recognise and overcome our prejudices and open our hearts to encourage one another in ministry. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray that you would raise up men and women with faithful and obedient hearts to lead your church and to serve their communities and nations in politics, in industry, in education, in helping those in need and in other walks of life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for your healing for the sick and wounded, your justice and deliverance for the oppressed, your salvation for the lost, your direction for the aimless, your strength for the weak, your provision for the needy, your mercy for those burdened with guilt, your hope for the despairing, your peace for the fearful and for the angry, and your wisdom for all. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In a few moments of silence, we pray for those on each of our hearts. Give us grace to help, support and comfort them as we are able. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We ask these things in the name of our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. In our closing hymn, Love divine, all loves excelling, we ask God to fill us with his love and his spirit and to finish his new creation in us. Well, thank you for joining with me in this service and particularly those who have done the readings for us and Holly for looking after the technology. Now let's pray. Be with us, Lord, as we go out into the world. May the lips that have sung your praises always speak the truth. May the ears that have heard your word listen only to what is good and right. And may our lives, as well as our worship, be always pleasing in your sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And may the blessing of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest upon us all and abide with us this day and always. Amen.
Sound.